In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. and gentlemen welcome to this special election edition of floating on the stream of consciousness with george and david i want to say thanks to everyone's patience we uh, i had some technical difficulties getting through and it's interesting because today's topic is analog and digital and uh we were having some issues there we were so, David, for those who may not have heard your gracious introduction about what it is you do, would you be so kind as to share that with them again? Sure. So uh, happy to be with you as, as usual, George, even though we uh, had to deal with the, the, the gremlins in our computers, it seemed. Um, so I am the director of undergraduate research and creative activity at Christopher Newport University in Newport News, Virginia. I've been a professor of medieval and Renaissance religion, literature, and culture for about 30 years. I've written a bunch of books. My most recent book is on the seven deadly sins. And uh, I enjoy uh, meeting with my friend George here on a pretty much a weekly basis to, That's right. to talk about uh, just about anything. We, 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 we were all over the place. <laughs> Yeah, I think that those are some of our best casts, and that's why we talk about the stream of consciousness here. Right. You know, I guess maybe to start it off just real quickly, I, I can't believe I'm 48 years old and I still have a problem sometimes with the time change. I think I moved to Hawaii, <laughs> and so time doesn't change over here. It doesn't. So, okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. See, so yeah, well, you're, I, 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 today is my birthday and I'm 59, so... Um, I got I got a little bit on you here. And uh, yeah, I don't know. The time change thing just uh, we were trying to negotiate when we yeah. were going to meet negotiating between Eastern time, which and we just changed the clocks and Hawaii time when you didn't. And uh, we, we were very confused. Yeah, I had another guest this morning and the same thing had happened. I I was at seven. I was like, OK, I'm waiting. And then I go, son of a gun. 
it's 7.05. I think I, maybe I sent them the wrong thing. And I, it's weird because I did send them the wrong link. But then they got back to me. And they said, hey, we're not going to meet until an hour later. Uh, and I was like, what? No, I have a thing in an hour. <laughs> so well, that happened That happened to us. One yeah. of the very first times that we chatted was, must yeah. have been the last time we changed the clocks. <laughs> and I was here and we had changed the clocks that weekend. And I didn't realize you didn't there. And so it was 6 a.m. or something there. <laughs> and you were like, no, we're reading in an hour. <laughs> very strange. Well, apparently it's, it's all going to go away. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. It's and it brings us into this idea of analog and digital, right? Yeah. Like what is what is this thing time that we're doing? And, you know, what I read something interesting. And when you had proposed this topic, I had just finished reading um, this this book right here. I'll show it to you. This is a fascinating author for those who may mm. want to check this out. Uh, Young Chulhan and it's psychopolitics. And, and in here, he talks about these new types of technologies that seem to be infiltrating our system through government and education. And he talks a little bit about, you know, isn't it strange that in today's world, the smartphone is very, it's almost synonymous with the rosary. And that kind of gets me to digital and analog. Like you have this handheld device in both times. You know, it's a tool for monitoring, maybe self-monitoring on both of them. You know, one is the beads and the other one's like this slick fondle slab that you still pull in your hand and you pull out to try and get a vision of heaven or maybe a vision of hell, you know, or there's all these tools for control on there. So I, I wanted to bring that up and throw that yeah. past you as we got on there. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I mean, technology certainly has infiltrated the world of, of ritual. Yes. Um, you know, religious ritual, spiritual ritual, and, and even secular ritual for that matter. Um, but I, I, I know I, I, when I first started teaching that course called Hamilton Hyperspace, um, my gosh, that must have been in the very late 90s. I think it was 98 when I started teaching that course, when I created it. Um, the first book that I used in that course was a book by David Noble called The Religion of Technology, mm. um, which is a really terrific book, um, even though now it's, my gosh, 23 years old. Um, it's kind of outdated but he is talking about in that book the ways in which technology over time has really really sort of become insidious in the world of of religion and spiritual practice um and it's something which certainly uh scholars and and, and critics have talked about for the last two decades um the ongoing influence of technology on on those aspects of our lives and I think you're right. I mean, some people do treat their 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 smartphones as if it were prayer beads, yeah. Um, or, or or for that matter, any real any talisman um, that you word. might carry. Um, and and it, it's 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 quite interesting because it has there are a lot of implications for it on on the level of theology. Um, and then on the level of, of spirituality, right? Two different things. Um, but I know there, you know, lots of of technology discussions in the world of theology. I mean, dating back to my gosh, I mean, the printing press, right? I mean, you know, the first printed book is a Bible, um, and the the effects that that was going to have on spiritual practice is part of the 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 really what what uh, what really began the protestant reformation right um difference in 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 the ability to have a text in front of you because now print is is widely available versus 
you got to have a priest in front of you who can read the text to you and interpret it. Now you can interpret it on your own. That's a huge change. Yeah. But even there are modern things like, um, you know, I mean, in, in, in Judaism, um, for example, I remember there, there's, there's been an ongoing discussion in Talmudic interpretation about the roles of technology in our lives on a daily basis. Example, um, several years ago, I remember there was a discussion about, about answering machines. This is back when answering machines were relatively new. And there was the question about whether or not you could have your answering machine accept a message on the Sabbath because you're not supposed to use technology on the Sabbath. It's a tech-free zone. And so even if you didn't answer it and didn't listen to the message until after the Sabbath, was it okay for your answering machine to answer the phone during the Sabbath and take the message? Um, and there was a whole discussion, Talmudic discussion. I don't know that it's ever been actually settled. I was looking it up this morning to see what the latest is on it. And the latest that I found is that, um, from the interpretation that I see, is that it's it's still prohibited. Um, you would not. It, it, it's not clear that it's not a violation. It's what the interpretation. <laughs> so how's that for 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 vagueness? Um, but you know, then technology comes in in other places. There's a whole. I I was surprised to see how many websites there are now, where you can go on and you can actually enter many of them for free, a prayer, which will be brought then printed off and brought to the Western Wall in Jerusalem and put into the wall. So so for those who don't know, I mean, you know, the, the Western Wall is is in many ways a pilgrimage site for Jews, the same way that that Rome and Santiago de Compostela and places like that are for, for Catholics. And the idea is that you would go to you go to the Western Wall and you can write a prayer on a piece of paper and stuff it into the cracks in between the stones, and it will be uh, supposedly answered by uh, by God. And there was a guy who, it's got to be 20 years ago, um, decided he was going to set up a fax machine near the Western Wall, and you could fax him your prayers, and he would put the prayer into the wall for you. Now I see that there are multiple websites where you can do that. Many of them actually don't cost anything. You just put your you type in your prayer. I'm looking at one right now. Yep. You put in your prayer and it will be uh, be printed out or it will be placed in the Western Wall by a student. And, uh, you know, I mean, is that the same thing <laughs> as going and doing it? Uh, you know, we, we talked often about the, uh, the, the, the process being more important than the, than the destination, right? The, the journey. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I don't know either, but I I still cling to that idea that there's something in the process. It's not so much the destination, right? It, it is it's the journey because that's where you come upon. That's where you have to take the road to Damascus. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean the journey. I think the journey is the key to existence. Yeah. Right. I mean, without the journey, what's the point? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, it's it's like everyone who says, well. You know, science is trying to to find the answers to the universe and and understand the origins of the universe and come up with you know unified field theory and 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 it's like okay, but if they did, then what? Um, you know, if you've got all the answers, 
what's the point? I mean, it's, it's like students who study Shakespeare and say, well, you know, there's nothing more to say about Shakespeare. It's like, well, if that were the case, well, we wouldn't be studying him. I mean, there is no definitive answer. And it what's important is, you know, the journey that you take to come up with the answer that you get, that you come up with, and what that uh, what that does for you and others, how that helps them. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to think about. I, you know, if you don't take the journey, you just sit around all day, and you can. I guess you could go places in your head, but well, you virtual know, reality, right? Yeah, or faxing, or imagination. faxing. Yeah, imagination. Yeah, well, you want to go analog or digital on this, right? Yeah. You know, well, so there, you know, yeah, imagination's yeah. the analog way. And you know, you want to go digital and you get a get an Oculus uh headset and you could you could go that way. Um, you know, and and, and whether or not one is a better experience, I mean what the quality of the experience is, or whether or not the authenticity of the experience is different. I mean, I would argue that the authenticity of an imaginative experience is 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 higher than the authenticity of a virtual reality experience. Now, I know a lot of people will disagree with that, but I'm just thinking about the ways in which um, poets like Wordsworth and Blake and Keats, the Romantics, really encouraged us to engage in the imagination and whether or not the experience that you have with virtual reality stands up to that same level I, I don't i don't think it does i don't see how it could um I, I i don't know i don't i don't like the oculus glasses i don't like that virtual reality stuff to be honest um it just it seems too it's too much for me what jean baudrillard called the simulation it's not real whereas an imaginative experience to me is closer to reality it's my reality yeah yeah, I there there's something fall like it's a it's a false shadow or it's it's just a an imperfect copy of what is true in your reality. Yeah. You know, it's 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 interesting to think about, but yeah, the what what is Oculus? Like to have a digital so to have this thing strapped to your face mm-hmm. and seeing the ideas of other people like you, you are not getting to see your interpretation of reality. You're seeing someone else's interpretation of it. Yeah. Um, although I, I suppose the users would argue that you're seeing it through your own eyes. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, we're, we're both on the same page on this. We need, yeah. we need the, the other side to join us to, to give us the other, other perspective because, um, that just doesn't work for me. I, I remember the first time I strapped one of those things on. It was many years ago when they first came out with them. I was in a in a one of those big box electronic stores, and they had a uh, a setup where you could try them, and it was a basketball game. So you you put them on and you were playing basketball, um, and it was I mean it was a very strange sensation, um, but I mean for somebody for for me particularly because I have terrible motion sickness. It, it it was very unpleasant. Um, it was very unpleasant because I was I was always aware that it wasn't reality. I think that's the thing. It was trying to trick my brain, but my brain wouldn't be tricked. Because that's yeah. I think what virtual reality is trying to do, right? It's trying to trick your brain into thinking that this is real. Yeah, it's but, a... it, but your brain is is uh, you know usually smarter than that. Um, 
you know, I, I think about rudimentary versions of that. I remember when um, when the movie Earthquake came out in the 1970s, and there was a big to-do about that film because it was filmed in sensor-round. <laughs> so we went to the, go see the film. I remember I went with my mother, I think. And I sat, we sat down in the theater in the Bronx. And uh, I'll never forget, I had my, my piece of licorice in my hand. And the first time the, 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 the earthquake began, it, it, it felt like the whole theater was rumbling. And I remember I sat there the whole time with this one piece of licorice in my hand because I was afraid to eat it because it was so <laughs> nerve-wracking. But Sensuround was nothing more than they had the bass turned up really high on the speakers. So it felt like everything was rumbling. Right. You know, but, but that, that, that tricking of your brain and whether or not that's successful, I think that's the key to virtual reality. Is that the key to digital? It is in many ways, I think. Um, I mean, digital versus analog is an interesting issue these days, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, we ha we have so little left in our world that really is truly analog. Um, you know, and it's interesting. I think we mentioned last time that that record players and records are coming back, right? Which is which is analog. Um, and the difference is, of course, that the way I discuss it with my students, at least, is analog, you can sort of see the mechanics of how something works. Digital usually can't. So we think about, you know, and, and what really intrigues me about this is the metaphors that we still use, right? Yeah. You tell someone in a car, roll down your window. Well, who still has a car that has windows that you roll down? You know, it's you press a button and it roll and it goes down. But we still say roll down your window. Um, you know, we still say turn the light on, even though it's it's not doesn't work that way anymore. With light switches in many rooms. It's a different kind of light switch. I mean, on off, flipping a switch. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can remember my grandmother used to say, "Put a light up, mm. put a light up," because she grew up in in a, a time before widespread electricity and put a light up was light the candle mm. um put a light up um you know our, our grandparents who used to refer to refrigerators as ice boxes yeah um, because that's what they were originally right a big box with a block of ice on top of it and it kept the food cold um and so you know some people will still refer to an ice box and so there are a lot of metaphors like that for things that we have moved away from in an analog sense to a more digital sense. And I mean, personally, um, I, I can appreciate the analog world. And there are some things that I think I still want that way. Um, I, I'm, I'm not getting them more and more because it's just not, not available. Um, you know, you think about, about movies, right? I mean, we used to go to the movie theater, and in the back of the movie theater there was a projection room with big projectors, and they had, you know, reels and reels of film. And now everything is digital. Um, they download the films. Um, the projectors are digital projectors. There's no film anymore. Um, I mean, those of us who are old enough to remember sitting in theaters when, you know, something would go wrong with the projector or the film would break in the middle of the film and you know everybody oh and you sit there waiting while they fixed it um that rarely
really happens anymore. If it, you know, if it does, it's because somebody probably kicked the plug out from the <laughs> more than anything else. But I, I just, I, I have an appreciation for that analog world that I think, um, I think sometimes I lament losing. Sure. Um, and it's not to be a Luddite. It's not to say, you know, oh, all technology is bad. It's just, I think there, there's a, a place for everything. And as we've talked about before, just because we can do something doesn't mean we should, right? I mean, there are some ways that, you know, maybe the old way is better. I don't know. Um, I mean, you know, I, I oftentimes wish that, you know, cell phones didn't exist and they're, they're just a gigantic pain in the ass. And the way that people are tethered to them um, it's almost become an extension of their physical beings, right? And a lot of people have written about this in the last few years about how just the technology is now an extension of, of our, of our bodies. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't, I, that bothers me. Yeah. I, I think it should bother you. I, you know, when, when I think of the world of the digital and I think of technology it seems it's heavily influenced by the incentive structure and that incentive is to make money so it's not essentially about making life better it's not about more wholesome it's about more profit and i think that that is something that digitalization has driven a wedge between you know when, when you separate the product from the worker you separate the meaning from those two things and that's what digitization can do really well is it it drives this wedge right in between what's yeah. real and what's not in the amount and someone else's idea of real because that's yeah it's a strange but, but you can see it. that you can see the, the 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 birth of that in just the whole automation system yeah right and automation on the assembly line and and, and that kind of thing where it takes away that that the, the person the person's yeah. involvement i mean the the, the craft right we talk about craftsmanship and the art of craftsmanship and, and the way that so much of that is just gone now. Um, it, it, it's, it's really sad that most of what we deal with on a daily basis is, is, is manufactured um, in, in bulk, you know, so much yeah. so now that it's become such an anomaly when you buy something that's quote unquote handmade, right. Yeah. And, and make such a big deal about, Oh, well, it's handmade. Um, you know, well, what does that mean? Uh, you know, it, it, it means they, they charge more money for it. So it must mean that it's better. Yeah. Like, I'll break it down even further. When we, when we talk about, I wrote some stuff down here about analog and digital and mm -hmm. on the topic of analog and digital and technology, an analog device records wave forms as they are a tech, digital technology in the digital format. It samples analog waveforms into a limited set of numbers and then records them. Mm -hmm. And then if you think about that for a minute, that's why digital is such a cheap representation of the analog because it's right. only taking small samples right. and then trying to mix them together. You don't right. have that whole thing anymore. And you do no, it for the whole person. And that's the argument that a lot of a lot right. of audio files will make with the difference between vinyl and 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 MP3s or even CD quality. And saying that you know the the vinyl gives you a richer, more full sound, and it and it, it I I don't know enough about about audio to to speak eloquently about it, but you know it gives you a wider range of sound than you would get electronically, 
Um, and, you know, I mean, there were uh, there was so much complaint at the beginning when we started having MP3s when iPods first came out that, well, the quality is just not as good, right? The quality of the audio is not as good. It's, it, it's, it's, it's just less. Um, that isn't the case necessarily anymore uh, because they've improved ways of doing this. But there are certainly still people who are swear by vinyl for a yeah. fuller, richer sound. And, um, you know, it, it scratches and blips and all, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's so funny because those of us who grew up listening to records, um, got so used to, you know, maybe there was a scratch at a certain point during a certain song that then when you hear it, you know, on a CD, you expect to hear that scratch and you don't hear it. And it's like, well, wait a minute, that became part of the song for me. Yeah. You know, I, I got... I got two points. I'll bring up one and then I'm going to, I'll put up this comment from our friend of the show here. But, um, you know, when I think of a record and I think about the, the, what it takes place to play a record, you got to take it, you got to make sure the needles in there, right. And it goes along the groove and it's circular and rhythm. And it, there's something like you the can right see the right speed, the right size. You might have to put the little cone in there if it's a 45 or like one of the 38s or whatever. And, you know, there's, you can actually see the process happening. Yeah. And I think in digital, you lose the ability to see the process happening. And, and when you no longer have the ability to see, you're blind in some ways, you know, yeah. and I, that gets us to what Ben is saying here is that, right. you know, it doesn't engage the full aspect of human experience. You're only engaging, he was talking about virtual reality, you're only engaging yeah. the visual and auditory, but I think it's pretty similar for digital in a lot of ways. Sure. And, and I think you're right. I mean, you know, the, the difference between I mean, I, I have a, 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 a couple of old record players down the hall here because my students last year um, used them when they curated the, the show that they did for their museum studies course. Um, and one is an old crank record player that actually still works. Um, and the other one is is, a, is an older uh, Victrola, which currently doesn't work. I wasn't able to fix it. But the kids love it when I play a 78 on the crank record play and show them how it works. You got to crank it up. It's not, yeah. it's not no electricity. You crank it up because it's got a spring inside and then you release it and the record starts spinning. And then you put the, the, the uh, needle down on it and you start hearing sound and the look on, on the faces of, you know, not just college students, but kids when they come through and I do that. It's, it's like you've just done some magic trick, um, which is, is funny because really it's the, it's the opposite that's true. The magic yeah. trick is turning on, you know, my cell phone, which has, you know, how many songs are in here? You know, yeah. where are they? How is that happening? Uh, whereas if I show you that on a, on a record player like that, you can see exactly how it's happening. Yeah, I'm glad you said magic trick because I think what's happening is a magic trick and it's the disappearance of critical thinking due to digital technology. Yeah. And I want to give you an example of that. The example I'm thinking about is in the news recently, there was this Google engineer who was speaking with a AI um, algorithm called Lambda, I believe. I think the guy's, I forgot the gentleman's name who was doing it. And he came out and he said, look, this digital technology is a sentient being. And he gave, a, he, he, if you, you could go on and read the conversation he had with that particular program. And it sounds amazing. 
Hmm. However, I recently talked to one of the world's greatest science fiction writers, a gentleman by the name of David Walton, his new book, Living Memory, great book, by the way. And I asked him this question and he started laughing and he goes, you know, that's the problem. He goes, what he asked that chatbot, what he asked that program was a very fascinating human question. But he could have verily, he could have easily asked that computer, you know, I'm flying through space with my four flamingo friends. And one of them said that they like to eat worms on Thursdays with their head below ground. How do you think I should communicate to my, my flamingo friend the right way to tell him he shouldn't do that? And that chatbot would have a great way of explaining to you this nonsense answer. Right. So, but it's this idea, once you've lost the idea of the analog, now you, you can be told anything by the digital and you don't have any reference to back it up. Like there's nothing there for you to, to have to fall back on. If you, if you yeah. live for nothing and die, you know, if you don't live for something, you die for nothing. Or yeah. Well, right and way. the problem with that is, is our, our becoming enamored with the digital. Yes. And, and basically coming to worship it. Yeah. Right. I mean that, that, you know, I, I can Google something and well, I mean, Google said it, so it must be right. Right. And we value that over the word of a human being who is an expert who says something different. It's like, well, but I saw it online. Um, it must be right. Uh, and, and I think that that's really a frightening development in the last, uh, you know, 30 years since um, Tim Berners-Lee developed the World Wide Web is this this swing of the pendulum from initially we didn't trust anything that we were seeing on the internet. And now too many people just will accept that as gospel truth. And you're like, well, wait a minute. And you say it's the death of critical thinking, right? I mean, where, where's your critical thinking if you're just being spoon fed things from a, a computer search engine that's working on algorithms and you're not challenging or questioning it. You're just accepting whatever it is that you're being given. I mean, we're, we're, we're in the brave new world, right? Yeah, um, you know, it's 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 really frightening that that's the way people are starting to 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 gravitate. Um and and boy, that's just such a part of of the issue today with with education. There's a a great line that um that I came across and actually I I, I give myself credit cuz I was editing a paper that I'm publishing and I actually had quoted this and I forgot all about it. But there's a, a, a terrific scholar of Augustine called Brian Stock. Um, he's really a fantastic writer. Um, I think he's a historian, and I believe he's now probably retired. Uh, but he's written a several really just incredible books on Augustine. And in one of his more recent ones, he has this statement. He says, humans cannot explain natural order, but through the practice of the liberal arts, they can arrive at some understanding of narrative order within themselves. So it's wow. the importance of liberal arts education yeah. is, you know, we can't explain what's going on in the world, but through the liberal arts, I can come to some understanding of the narrative order within me. And then I can use that to kind of try to reflect what the hell's going on in the world, right? It's one of the things that we've continued to come back and forth with in our discussions is, is subjectivity versus objectivity, yeah. right? And my ability to see the world objectively versus only seeing it subjectively, right? If I can only see things through my own perspective and I can't get out of that, 
then my critical thinking is shot to hell. Yeah. Critical thinking is the ability to look at something objectively, right? And try to strip it of any kind of bias that I might have, whether that bias is, is taught, whether it's natural. I mean, you know, what I mean is, you know, let's say I'm colorblind and I don't see color properly. You know, it, it's the ability to, to see something by taking away whatever that that biases that I might have and look at it from that perspective. And that is something which we desperately try to teach students, especially in liberal arts education um, and, and have, I would say, since Plato's Academy. I um, tried to do that. And it, it, it's it's only gotten that much more difficult in the digital age. That's really well said. It, in, in hearing that, it may, it brought this, this thought to my mind that maybe the digital age has made synonymous objectively with objectified because people mm. are just objects now in some ways. And they see like how many men see women as objects, you know, or right. how many people see, how many employers see their employees as objects? You know, they don't look at them objectively. They just yeah. see them as objects or, or, you know, the theory of replaceable parts. And sure. I think that's what the digital, the digital digitization takes out the humanity of things. It, it puts oh, the magic in I mean, the machine. Even at the level of just, you know, uh, these days, you know, how many, repair people are there for things yeah. um when you know growing up i mean if your tv broke you called the repairman the tv repairman um they were listed in the yellow pages um that's a profession which has gone the way of the dodo bird um even things like you know i, I was noticing this the other day because um i was someplace and i drove past one and i was shocked um it, it was it was what my father used to call a shoemaker right a cobbler a, a person who fixed shoes um, those are few and far between now because they, it's a dying thing. Your shoes fall apart. You throw them out, you buy new shoes. Uh, you know, I can remember quite vividly growing up, you know, my father giving me his, his dress shoes and saying, you know, take them down to the shoemaker and have new soles and heels put on them. Um, and he would do that, you know, occasionally when they wore out instead of just throwing them out and buying new shoes. But that again, now we're back with craftsmanship. Yeah. Because a lot of that has to do with a craft. I mean, the, the, the guy who fixed your TV, I mean, that was a craft, right? Um, it really was. And those kinds of crafts are, 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 are dying. I mean, even to the point where now you've got folks who, you know, we, we have a, we had a new stove put in a couple of years ago. And about a year ago, something funky happened with it that I just didn't think should have. And so I called because we had bought the extended warranty on it. And they sent somebody out and the guy looked at it and he said, yeah, he says, we can fix that. He said, it's going to cost about 400 bucks. And I'm like, what? <laughs> um, and, you know, it was just because it's not worth it to fix these things anymore. Instead, we live, as everybody knows, in a disposable culture, right? Throw it out and buy a new one. Uh, and that's just something which it, 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 it reinforces the the lack of value wow. and worth in things. Um, yeah. They just don't have the same value that they once did. Uh, even cars, right? 
Yeah. Um, my, my father had cars and he, he had them until they, they drove them into the ground, you know. Um, and I, I, obviously people don't keep cars that long anymore, but you really can't. They don't last. They're not built yeah. to last. Planned obsolescence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as hideous as those those olive appliances were that we had in the 1960s and 70s, you know, you could launch a rocket off those things. They weren't going anywhere. Yeah. Um, but that's not the case with the stuff you buy now. It, it's interesting to think, you know, most people won't draw this comparison, but I think it's fair. And the comparison is if the things around us are are plan to become obsolete sooner rather than later, then what does that say about our values? What does that say about the way we see the world? When you and I have this conversation and we can tell you, you know, my, my aunt's 57 Ford Fairlane lasted a long time. My 2020 Acura or Lexus hybrid is already got 40,000 miles on it. And I can't even change the oil on there because I don't have the yeah. right tool, you know, yeah. and it's, it's interesting that, and I think it's a good measure of who we are by the things we're surrounded by. And if they're mm -hmm. all built to fail, you know, well, I, mean, the cobbler, I, yeah. I, I, I bought a mini Cooper two years nice. ago. I love my mini Cooper and I'm not a car guy, but I love my mini Cooper. But when I bought it and they were showing me the car and I took it for a test drive, I took it for a test drive. I got back to the lot and I got out of the car with the sales girl, sales person, sales woman, excuse me. And, um, and I said, um, I said, well, how do you pop the hood? And she said, well, why do you want to pop the hood? And I said, well, I want, I want to look under the hood. And she said, well, there's nothing, nothing to see. You pop the hood on this thing, and there literally is nothing to see because nothing is serviceable by us. Nothing is accessible. I, in fact, I don't even think I can fill the windshield wiper fluid myself because it's it's all sealed off. So, you know, and, and, and it... It remains in, in some ways in that way kind of a mystery. You know, what's under there? How much of that is electronic? How much of it is actually moving parts? I don't know. Um, probably not as much as once was. Um, yeah. But I think you're right. I mean, that, that it speaks to how we value things, you know, and and the, the devil's advocate would say, oh, well, you're talking about being materialistic, right? About holding mm. on to stuff mm. and the value of, of stuff. And, and it shouldn't have that much of a value. And no disagreement there, but it also speaks to the ways in which we think about the things that we have around us. Yeah. And how important they are. And, and, and how important they are when it comes to things like sentimental value and personal value. Right. I'm not talking about monetary value only. And I think that's where people fall into the trap. They think, oh, well, you're only talking about the monetary value of something. No. I mean, things have value beyond their monetary value. I mean, you know, just sitting here at my desk, I mean, this silly Apple paperweight, right? it's, a, <laughs> it's a paperweight that's an apple. Uh, this was given to me decades ago by a student. I don't even, I can't, I can't even remember what student it was, to be honest, but it's been so long. It's been sitting on my desk my entire career, right? Now, this is probably, you know, if, if this was at a yard sale, it would probably be a dollar, right? <laughs> it has no monetary value, but it has a lot of value to me, personal value, because as I say, it was given to me by a student. It, it has always been sitting on my desk. It's just, it's part of who I 
am as a professor. And so I think that, you know, if we separate the monetary value from personal value, that will help a lot with the discussion about these things, right? I mean, this has more monetary value than this, right? My cell phone. But what means more to me? Well, it's definitely this, right? I care less about the cell phone because guess what? In a couple of years, I'm going to trade this in for another cell phone. Not going to matter. It's not like I'm personally connected to this thing, but this I do have some more of a personal connection to. And so, you know, if you want to, you know, really go crazy, analog, digital, right? Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm holding things up. No, not at all. I held it's up awesome. my phone and a glass apple. <laughs> well, it's because if I were to take the, if I was to play the devil's advocate on there, what about the pictures on your phone? Those those have to have some sentimental value. What, like, how does that fit into it? They do, and 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 that's really problematic. Yeah, I think that's a real problem. Um, you know, I love looking at old pictures, print pictures. Um, you know, and I think we mentioned last time. It's interesting. There's a resurgence in the sale of single ref, uh, single yeah. lens reflex uh, reflex yeah. cameras, um, and, and and actual film. Uh, that there, there's a resurgence in the use of it. Uh, a lot of that coming out of the pandemic, people going back to those those old ways. Yeah. But um, I mean, I hate that all of my pictures are digital now. I don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I had boxes of old photographs, which over the last few years I have scanned in digitally. So that I have digital copies and you know, it was a lot of work to do because we're talking about probably thousands yeah. of photographs. I mean, these are photographs that go back to my grandparents. And um, the the reality was that once I was done scanning them in, I turned to my wife and I said, now what am I supposed to do with them? <laughs> right. And she said, not to be flippant, throw them out. Right. That was the point of doing this is that now you don't have to have space to have them. And oh, my God, it was like you were asking me to cut off a limb, throw out these photographs. Some of them are 100 years old. Who the hell am I to throw them out? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I have saved a lot of them. Hopefully my wife's not listening. Because she doesn't know where they <laughs> you're, are. You're in trouble. <laughs> so, David, I, I I feel like we're just getting warmed up. But due to the technical yeah. difficulties we had, no, I I'm going to have to, I have to uh, go to the dentist and get oh. some work done there. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. But... um. Anyway, now, do they give you glasses to wear? To uh, some dentists do that now, give you vir virtual uh, virtual reality glasses to to wear during your dental visit, so you can relax. I've noticed what they they come in now, and they can take a they'll they'll put a wand through if they're going to do a crown, and they'll get a whole 3D imaging of my mouth that comes up on a screen. No kidding. You know, and I was like, wow, look at this! And then that way they could just print out the crown right there, bingo, bango. Wow. You know, so uh, on some level, I it's it's a it's a we should continue this conversation because I yeah. think we've barely scratched the surface sure. on it. I think that there's a lot we can get into there. But Agreed. as for now, what what is it that you have coming up? What's the blog post going to be about this work? Where can people find you, and what are you excited about? Sure. So uh, my my website is David A Solomon S A L O M O N dot com, um, and there you can find the links to uh, my books and the blog and. Uh, all of my other consulting and appearances and um, what the most recent blog post is about is about division, um, like which is probably appropriate given the fact that today is election day. 
and your um, birthday. Happy birthday. birthday. Yes. Thank you very much. And, uh, and I, I, the piece on division, I think is, I, I don't feel like it's finished. So I'll be eager to hear if people have any comments about it, because I think there's more to, to be, uh, to be said there. Um, what am I excited about? I just began reading this new book um, on D.H. Lawrence called Look, We've Come Through, Living with D.H. Lawrence. Um, it's back by a woman named Laura Fagel. She is a uh, professor at uh, King's College London. And she wrote this book um, about, as she calls it in the subtitle, Living with D.H. Lawrence During the Pandemic. Um, she decided that during the pandemic, she was going to write a book on Lawrence. And so during the time that she was in the lockdown in, in the UK, um, she went through all of his work and uh, it got a, an interesting review. And I, I ordered a copy immediately from the UK. It's not published here yet in the States and just started reading it this morning. It was quite good. Nice. I'm going to have to check it out myself. Yeah. We'll have a little chit chat about it. Maybe we, can, maybe we can try to get her on the podcast. We could talk That'd to her together. Great. Yeah. That would absolutely. be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I got a, um, gosh darn it. I can't, I have a book too that. I wanted to talk about and tell you about, about angels and demons. I think oh. you would like professor out of Yale, I believe a psychologist who is actually, I don't want to butcher it off. I'll, I'll send you the notes on it. Cause I think you'd find it really interesting yeah, with some of the work you're doing. Terrific. So fantastic. That's what I got going on coming up in the future. I got some great podcasts coming up later this week and David and I will be back to you on Tuesday, probably continuing our discussion and floating down this stream of digital, waterways and analog boats and whatnot <laughs> so that's what i got ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for your time go check out david's work check out his blog check out his book the seven deadly sins it's a really great read i think you'll enjoy it and that's what we got for today ladies and gentlemen aloha
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.